So welcome everyone. This is Mike Grandinetti. Glad to have you with us for another episode of the Disruptive Innovation Podcast, where we celebrate all things innovation. This is the second episode of a two-episode miniseries on financial technology, and we're joined once again by our guest, David Yagen, who is managing partner with F Prime Capital, and Sarah Biller, who is managing partner of Vantage Ventures. In this episode, we're going to talk about the FinTech Sandbox, and we have two of the three founders of the FinTech Sandbox with us. So we're going to get right into it, and you, you already know their backgrounds from the prior episode, so we'll waste no time diving right in. When did you two first meet? What, what was it that led the two of you to actually bring your incredible experiences and brain power together? How did that happen? Sarah was an entrepreneur and had founded Capital Markets Exchange. And um, we came, became, uh, we got to know each other. I got to know Sarah's team. And as they were building what turned out to be a really innovative company, Sarah should describe more about it. But within the fixed income world, it was uh, doing ex exceptional things, taking very different approaches to how to price and get uh, discovery and fixed income. But yeah, and David's way too kind. I came to him in tears. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall that. <laughs> but it really, as you can imagine, we've talked about the evolution of fintech in these glowing terms. And today it looks like it's a vibrant and very active uh, segment. But as we've talked about in the 2011-2012 time period, um, it was oftentimes even difficult to intersect fin with tech in a plausible way. And um, so I came to David uh, really with challenges that exist with being an early entrepreneur in Boston, um, in the fintech community as a young woman, might I add, in a, in a category that didn't see a lot of young women trying to intersect the two. Okay. So you were at the time with F-Prime and you made an investment in the company and got to know the team and got to follow the team as it Yeah. Evolved. So we didn't have a chance to invest at, as the timing worked out, but, okay. but we got to know each other as Sarah was building the company. And, and then, um, you know, from there, like, FinTech, I'd say as a whole, like, you know, a lot of thing in life is timing, right? And I think Sarah and I met and we're both diving into FinTech. FinTech was blossoming, as we discussed in the last episode. And, you know, that led our paths to other like-minded people, which also allowed us to think what what could Boston do in FinTech? What what is missing in the community and and uh, some of the shared interests that we had? Yeah, I think, David, if I remember correctly, our first Boston FinTech meetup um, we weren't certain if anyone was going to show up, and we had a raging debate: should we have buy one case of beer or two cases of beer? Wow! Yes, that's ambitious. <laughs> that was ambitious. Two cases that was of beer. Two cases of beer, <laughs> and you know, some some years later, we find ourselves yeah. with a rich community buttressed by the fintech sandbox and some other institutions here in Boston. But we have about forty five hundred people in the city of Boston who are in surrounding areas who self identify as fintech entrepreneurs or are interested, and so you know, going from that very small handful. Yeah. Um, I don't even think we drank all the beer that no, night. No, I think, but uh, thanks to Ty Danko, some, who, who helped <laughs> yes. get that first meeting off the ground, <laughs> yeah. and uh, some of it was drunk. So, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. So so here you are, two of you, out of the th and, and, and share with us now the name of the third founder of this of this auspicious group. John Fawcett. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Foss from Quantopian. Okay. Yeah. So the three of you are sitting around a table in your looking at a lot of the gaps and challenges and what are the gaps that you identify at that point to say, I think we need to just take matters into our own hands and do something about it. Yeah, Mike, it didn't actually happen that way. I, I, I'll correct our story since since you have such a wide listening uh, range here. It was David's idea. 
I think what happened was David was beginning to connect some very critical dots in the fintech entrepreneurial community. And if you really see where we were coalescing around challenge, um, one of the primary ones was the access to data. I mean, I think in my own own company, we were having such limitations that I was hiring interns to go out and build uh, scraping tools to scrape wow. the web. Wow. Um, was really, you know, it was a very challenging period in which you could find even structured data had its limitations. And David, I'm going to assume you heard that from Foss as well. Um, and when he brought us together, it was with this shared thesis of I've heard you and I've observed that this is a challenge. And the validation was quite quick, and I think we we both signed on immediately to help David build out this this very visionary idea that today we think about big data and data as a currency without even um, guessing that that is a is an important component. And we'd again, again go back to those days. Um, it it really was not as widely discussed, and it was you know it was locked in a box for the entrepreneurs. Okay, so you you then decided this was something that you needed to have addressed and you invited some of the thought leaders in the community. And this was that that initial meeting where you were debating this huge strategic decision as to, do I buy one or two cases of Sam Adams, right? <laughs> and so from that nucleus, I assume a lot of validation, a lot of people saying, yes, this is an issue. And then a decision to move forward and actually build this organization. Yeah, I can, you know, add to that. Uh, first, Sarah's consistently generous, kind, and 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 the way she describes that. And and you know, like all things, some of the people we brought together, there was a, a key founding team, you know, just to mention some of the folks that we could not have done it without, but Dinesh Chetta and Sean Belka, Doug Nelson, Ty Danko. Um, you know, it was a, a lot of that shared sense of that this is a real problem and companies are spending, either can't build the products and services they want because they can't get access to the data, or it would cost too much, you know, to do so. And so, you know, I, I, with all things, there's often an anchor, you know, commitment that comes. And I think to this day, you know, Sarah and Foss and I remain, you know, deeply grateful to Fidelity and to Thomson Reuters, now Refinitiv, in particular for early commitments to what we were trying to do. And Thomson Reuters, now Refinitiv, um, was able to give us not only a data set that really got us up and running, they have such a great data set along with Bloomberg that we could serve a lot of entrepreneurs just with that and also, you know, as a financial sponsor. So, you know, that was the start. And, you know, we began with one data partner. Uh, we, are, I think, have crossed over 50 data partners today. You know, we moved at some point from begging for data to people offering data um, we tried to solve a second problem around the licensing aspects, which I think FOSS more than anyone helped us appreciate that it wasn't just <clears throat> getting access to data, but it was how long it took to navigate the organizations and figure out what data was there and could I access it for free or how much would it cost? So we have tried to address that second piece as well. So some very non-trivial issues that you were able to manage on behalf of these startups that allowed them to you know, be much more um, quick in their ability to really validate their solutions. Yeah, Mike, I think yeah. it's fair to say, and you've probably heard and shared this lesson in your own groups, uh, the greatest enemy of an entrepreneur's time. Yeah, absolutely. No question. Fascinating. So now you you identify the problem, you bring on a number of data partners and other financial partners. Now you set this up as a nonprofit what was the reason behind that? Because, you know, this, it's not an accelerator, right? This is, this is not something where you're mentoring people and taking equity. You're, you're giving them access to data. So talk about the sort of the vision and the structure that you created and why this was the optimal approach for your vision. 
David and I look at one another because yeah. <laughs> I think I think for us it I mean from in, in my standpoint it really reflected um, the origin story right this really was intended to look at the entrepreneur community and advance them quickly. I mean, it's, it is not so, it is David's character to actually think about how do we solve this collectively and move forward and, you know, not offered in a sense of a death of a thousand cuts, which is really in this entrepreneurial things. But David, you may have a probably a more yeah, structured. No, I mean, that, I think accelerators by and large were formed as for profits and, you know, the economic model for an accelerator would be, you know, try to provide lots of help, but also take some equity in exchange for some money or the help that they provide. And I, and that's nice to see that out there. And when it works, it works really well. But we felt, we actually, we saw ourselves as complementary to accelerators and also wanted to set ourselves apart. And I, you know, I think we, we deeply felt like this was about bringing data to companies that couldn't get it otherwise and helping them build faster and better and broader products. And we, you know, we, we saw that consistent with the, this is a helping aspect, not a way to make money off these companies. And it, <clears throat> who knows how much of a difference that made. But out of that, I think some of the things that, that the team now, Gene Donnelly and Tatiana and Mike and Mark and others at, at FinTech Soundbox have done so well is to build a community around that. And, you know, I, I think maybe Sarah and I sometimes reflect upon the fact that it is a nonprofit, perhaps allowed it to also grow into a community that really was valued inside of Boston and New York and some other cities. And I think it also created this natural alignment with the industry, right? They didn't, they saw themselves, the data providers also saw themselves as part of that solution. It became above, beyond commerce at that moment. Um, although the eventual outcome, of course, is that we're building sustainable, scalable fintech, right? That begins with the application of data. Right. So rising tide lives all, you know, lifts all boats, basically. Yeah. Is, yeah. Okay. And and to your point, right, as you said before, right, as as you've expanded 4,500 people that self-identify as members of this community, talk about this extraordinary fintech week that you ran in Boston, if I remember, in September, right, with just an incredible jam-packed week-long agenda of people from every domain, including, you know, significant federal agencies and some of the largest financial services and data providers on the planet. That had to be one, you know, heck of a milestone for you guys to achieve. So share a little bit about that. You've got the right woman in the room. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember, the, right I remember yeah. the Bugs Bunny cartoon, Chip and Dale. Okay, you remember Chip and Dale? You're both of my generation, right? They were so kind to one another. Um, you guys are Chip and Dale. I swear to God. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure that's a compliment. There's a lot of respect for one another. That's what yeah. I'm saying. And you're very gracious. I love it. Yeah. Well, I think, Mike, you have you know this, right? You're, you're best suited when you mutually admire the people you work with. Absolutely. And, and so it enables you to go to greater depths. But um, you asked a question about Boston FinTech Week, and I think it's something the FinTech Sandbox should be particularly um, pleased with. This larger group that David mentioned to you correctly um, puts together and is the organizing partner um, to the community. And it actually is the largest event of its kind, um, we believe. And it's one that enables anyone who thinks about fintech and has a constructive way to present that idea, we enable them to do it. And by virtue of really trying to get to the ground truth, to have those moments of ahas, as opposed to an institutional conference that you go to where we've all done the, 
you know, done the speaking tour. Um, these are moments where you have the ideas that come to light, enables us to gather people like the chairman of the FDIC, Helena McWilliams. There wasn't a hesitation when we asked her, of right. course, I'll come to Boston. Right. And so I think um, just to put a plug in, uh, Boston FinTech Week this year will take place uh, September 20th, evening of the 22nd through the 25th, right here in Boston. And we would welcome anyone yeah. who, who thinks about FinTech um, to come to us with some ideas on content they could put on. That's great. So what's the best way for people to send those ideas along? How would you prefer to be contacted? Uh, we're going to uh, set up a web page that'll allow them to push an email to the FinTech Sandbox organizing team. Great. Yeah. And if I remember last year, it was free, right? So that you're not trying to monetize this. This is an open event. That's right. We yeah. want to make it accessible to the community. We are taking donations because yeah, we're okay. not for profit. But, right. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it is, it's terribly exciting. And I think we had incredible moments last year. We had the head of Uber Money, um, who, who David knows, and um, he shared with us a vision of passion that I don't think otherwise would have been unpacked. We would have only read in the papers the right. co- what is happening at Uber. Instead, what you're learning is, is they're providing their drivers rainy day funds. So if they get up the next morning and they don't have enough money for gas to drive, Uber's depositing that in their account and they work it off through the day. I mean, those are tremendous things because there is an intersecting idea, of course, is that fintech and financial services remains, as you started the conversation, less trusted. Right. And I would tell you that we're in a new category of entrepreneurship. The entrepreneurs who are in the fintech community today are really seeking solutions and impact as much as they are outcomes and returns. See, that's a great story because I think Uber is one of those companies the media loves to hate. Yeah. And so all you hear is the negative about Uber, right? And so, you know, I, I, and I'm a voracious reader and I love to keep up and I've never heard that before, right? That's very impressive. Yeah, we yeah. were taking, yeah, Peter Hazelhurst on yeah. stage shared that. And I think in many ways, they kind of keep it under the radar yeah. and instead of sharing these, mag, you know, yeah. these really magnanimous moments. Yeah. Um, and they, we want to uncover those through Boston FinTech Week. And of course, going back to the sandbox, it's at the core. It's an, as David said, it's an enabler. That's great. And and even though you're based in Boston, clearly, one, you don't have to locate here. This is really, again, it's as much as anything, a massive resource and community that's available to any fintech entrepreneur anywhere in the, on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. And you could be literally in an, in an accelerator or an incubator somewhere else and then benefiting from the services that you provide, right? So this is kind of a complement or an overlay That's to, right. to other types of potential acceleration or incubation or whatever else they may be thinking to advance. That's right. That's yeah, great. It felt consistent with, yeah. if, if data is virtual, then yeah. the, the sandbox could be as well. Okay. So now in terms of, and, and Sarah, in the last episode, you mentioned Rialto as a company you were particularly inspired by, impressed by, they went through the sandbox. Talk about a few of what you would call the successes, each of you, if you would, a couple that have come through the sandbox that have gone on to do some really interesting things. Well, it was David's foresight, but in our in our inaugural class, we had Ken Show, wow. which is, as yeah. you know, the largest exit to date for an AI-powered fintech uh, company I believe, right, David, it still holds that record? It or, probably is, yeah. 560 million or yeah. so. Yeah. And a yeah. great team that's now working at Capital IQ. Yeah, yeah. tremendous team. But was, David, 
you know, Elson was in the the first mm-hmm. class as well. I, you know, each of these companies, I mean, and it's worth noting, you know, come with a certain amount of of uh, you know progress, right? It's a team that's by by design. Sandbox, you know, uh, interviews for teams that have raised a seed round or some capital have actually struggled with building product to build some measure of product, so that. By when they do get the data, they're actually ready to really use it effectively, right? But and then there's that Goldilocks, but not too advanced that that they don't need the help um, and they could afford it themselves. Elson was probably a good example of like they had really done some great things and I, and and came in and made a tremendous contribution to the fintech sandbox and uh, and hopefully in the process, you know, were able to build product and expand that they couldn't have otherwise. But they have gone on to, you know, uh, build some really interesting uh, quantum mental models, um, uh, models that help analysts ingest data much more seamlessly from Thomson Reuters and from other data providers, and then, uh, you know, make investment decisions more quickly. So it's a pretty, very cool product, great partnership with Thomson Reuters, and and the, the team has done well before and, and after. Yeah, and if I could just add, that's a perfect example, David. Mike Elson uh, and other um, sand, sandbox participants oftentimes will coach incoming entrepreneurs and startups on how to make access the data more easily. And they'll share non-proprietary code. Elson has been one of the leaders in helping that do that. So you actually see this ongoing thesis of give back. That's great. Yeah. So they've embraced the spirit of the community and now they're they're just reinforcing it, which is a really wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. That's great. Thanks. So yeah. in terms of um, fintech entrepreneurs, founders that are listening to our podcast now and are thinking about now benefiting from this remarkable community that you've created, what what would you recommend they do? How do they, you know, apply or get on your radar screen and what's the process look like for them? Um, <clears throat> well, we'd love to hear from from any that fit that criteria, right? Um, some C financing, not, not, uh, not an A or a B financing yet, you know, are... We have spiked, I would say, at Fintech Sandbox on capital markets data. It's where we started and, and are able to serve startups very effectively if they need data that falls in that category. Um, there is additional data in real estate and payments and, and transaction data, uh, but capital markets data for sure is, is an area. And I think we'll get you know better over time in that and, and other areas. So startups to reach out to fintechsandbox.org. Um, the team there is you know ready to receive and to, to interview. We have a good interviewing process that has, has been set up and involves really a nice uh, a number of folks from the community who who conduct the interviews on behalf of Fintech Sandbox. Um, and we have a demo day uh, coming up as well in April that this year will be again in New York. And we would welcome startups to join that too. That's great. And so what about data providers? What what kind of data providers would you love to have yesterday? Mm, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think about the way that this, the trends are going, and we're in this secular moment where David correctly said capital markets data is available and we have it. But we also see flows um, of funds and also entrepreneurs interested in the private markets. And so any data provider, I think, that's thinking about adding transparency um, in any category where you've got sort of the bottom of the Russell 2000 all the way down to private companies would be interesting. Um, another thing that is, I think, an emerging trend that we see in the entrepreneur community is intersecting financial um, literacy and understanding and techniques with wellness. And so as we think about where would we find that data that lets us understand the in, the entrepreneurs understand the individual holistically um, is another category I think would be in. 
It's great. Cool. All right. And yeah. then just to wrap up this discussion, where do we go from here with the FinTech Sandbox? What what do we see happening with the Sandbox other than scaling uh, over the next two to three years? Any significant new things to expect or, or just current course and speed and just, you know, expanding that global community? So you know, I think the Sandbox has done a great job around the core mission of capital markets data and secondly, around the community. So in some ways, however, there's still lots to be done on the data side, right? We are still working to like make it more seamless for startups to get access to that. And some of that will involve working with uh, partners like Amazon, AWS, other partners like Data Republic potentially to build out data sandboxes to make it even easier for startups to access that. So it's a big part of our agenda. I think around the, the social data and data to help uh, communities, uh, disadvantaged communities, and those in lower and middle income uh, segments. That is a, n- another prong, as Sarah was mentioning, where we're both seeking data and working with partners to identify the use cases and then attract startups who will help work on those problems. Yeah, I was struck, Mike, David mentioned a statistic that I didn't even know, and that's that today in the in the venture landscape, it's only about 10% of capital is allocated to fintechs makes me think we're just in the earliest innings of this long tail opportunity to uh, add value to the fintech entrepreneur system. That's great. And yeah. what do you teach in your fintech class? What What are the uh, the learning outcomes that you look to impart to your students? Oh, fantastic. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> we do talk about the evolution of the adoption of uh, financial technology um, up until contemporary times, obviously for us. Contemporary times actually began in the 50s when you saw the beginning of the adoption of ATMs and tellerless uh, services. But moving forward, what are the ethical implications as we contemplate for instance, the application of AI to people's financial decisions and behavior. Um, we have, you know, a, a whole study course on what that means. So, Great. Yeah. Well, listen, Thanks. first of all, I want to thank you for, because again, I, you know, as someone who doesn't just do one thing, I understand the commitment it takes when you have a day job and then you do other very significant things. So, Thank you for doing that. I mean, it's, I love the, the ethos behind it. I love the, we're doing this to create a, a global community. Um, secondly, congratulations. Um, it's not every day that you can start with a group of five or six people and grow a community to 4,500. And I know you're also very active with meetups. And every time I look, there's another inbox in mail from Sarah saying- I one is tonight. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, so you're obviously doing an incredible amount of stuff to get the word out there. So, and, and you, the fact that you were able to create the event you did last September, just remarkable, right? So congratulations to you both. And again, to my listeners, join me in thanking both Sarah Biller and David Yagen for sharing their thoughts, their insights, their experiences, and mostly their passion about fintech with us. This is Mike Grandinetti for the Disruptive Innovation Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.